Thank you, brothers, for those passages of Scripture. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. It is something we, we should be assured of and certain of. And it's the most important truth you will ever hear in your whole life. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. What wonderful words. That was Peter. Fifty days earlier, Peter had a few problems with Jesus of Nazareth when he was confronted by a little servant girl. But he sure didn't on that day of Pentecost because he was full of the Holy Ghost. And he blasted forth the truth about them and their wicked hands having crucified the Lord of glory according to the determinate counsel of God. But that Psalm 16 was all about this fact that God would not leave his soul in hell, but raised him from the dead. Wonderful passage. And Luke chapter 1, she that was barren, what two cousins. Do you think they celebrated the Lord just a little bit when they got together? Luke 2 seems to indicate that they did. What a a blessing. Let us consider just a little further about the, the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. David's buried in Jerusalem, Peter said. We all know that. But it said his soul wouldn't see corruption. Well, what do we do with... how? If David saw corruption and David said his soul wouldn't see corruption in Psalm 16 and Psalm 22, what, what's he talking about? Well, David was a prophet, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn to him with an oath, he was speaking of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He would not see corruption because God raised him from the dead. And the prophecy in Psalm 110 that said, The Lord said unto my Lord... That is fulfilled in the fact that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, is David's Lord, and he's sitting on David's throne in heaven at this hour. Do you know what that would make you feel like if you had the least little bit of guilt in crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know what their answer was? Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do if Jesus is on the throne of glory, as the son of David prophesied in the scriptures, and we have crucified him? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent! And be baptized in the name of Jesus, every one of you, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you. And there it goes. It's wonderful. On the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 of them believed and were baptized. And joined in the apostolic doctrine and fellowship and prayers and breaking of bread. And we see the beginning of the church. All centered around the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We were looking at the kingdom of the Lord in First Chronicles chapter 28. The kingdom is important as we consider a king because a kingdom is the, is the realm and the domain of a king's rule and authority. And the Lord Jesus Christ has rule and he's got reign and authority over a kingdom. David had a kingdom and we saw in First Chronicles chapter 28 verses 3 through 5 that it was called the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. The Lord had a kingdom in the Old Testament, and David was its king. And then Solomon was its king, and then Hezekiah, and then Josiah, and others were its kings. And then that that scepter was lost. Except the sons of David kept having sons. And kept having sons. And then one day Mary had a son, the virgin-born son that Isaiah chapter 7 describes. And his name is Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us would come by the way of a virgin and he would be the king of Israel as we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us and visit Israel and take that throne 
and deliver us from all our enemies, which Jesus, the Son of God, has done. The man Christ Jesus promised to the woman in the garden of, promised up to the woman, but spoken to the devil in the garden of Eden, spoken of by Jacob to his twelve sons as he gave the blessing to Judah, that the scepter would not depart from Judah until Shiloh came. No other tribe reigned over Israel until Jesus came of the tribe of Judah. He's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why is he called a lion? Why is he called a lamb? He's called a lamb because he laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. He's called a lion because the lion turns away for no other beast of the forest. And he's comely in his going. And the Lord Jesus Christ is as comely as a lion because he's a king against whom there is no rising up. Proverbs chapter 30. What title do you like the best? Let's have an argument. What title do you like the best of the Lord Jesus Christ? The lion of the tribe of Judah or the lamb of God? The lamb slain. The bishop of your soul. The great high priest. The priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Your friend. Your brother. Jesus of Nazareth. The son of David. Amen. He had a kingdom. David and Solomon extended, extended the Lord's kingdom until it was great. David conquered all the enemies. Solomon just collected the revenues. Solomon sat on his throne and didn't have to fight because David had done all the fighting for him. Remember, David was a bloody man, so David didn't build the temple. Solomon built it. Solomon was a man of peace, and he just collected all the money from all these nations that had been whipped by David and that were paying tribute, and he used that money to build the house of the Lord. This kingdom was extensive. It fulfilled every prophecy that God ever gave to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or Moses about its dimensions. Don't you ever let anyone tell you that the land that was promised to those men was never given to Israel, and God still has yet to fulfill that promise. If you read a Schofield Bible, that's what it says in it. God has not yet fulfilled His promise of the land to Israel. Oh, yes, He has. Amen. That's right. Fifty references, no less then 50 declare that God gave all the land to Joshua and those that came after him. Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 9 that God gave all the land to Abraham according to his promise because he is righteous. And if you say that they don't have the land, then you are saying God is unrighteous and you're guilty of blasphemy. You're believing Jewish fables. Go kiss the feet of those Christ-hating people in the Middle East. They have no relationship to Jesus Christ. Do you know what Jesus says of them twice? Revelation 2.9 and Revelation 3.9. He hates those people that call themselves Jews, but are of the synagogue of Satan. There's only one kind of people that worship in synagogues, and they're Jews, and they're the synagogue of Satan. That's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the red writing in 2.9 and 3.9 of the book of Revelation. We are the true Jews. We are the Israel of God. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. Only some of Israel, a small remnant, would be saved and added to the Gentiles to make up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Amos chapter 9 says by prophecy that in the latter days, I will build again the tabernacle of David. I'm going to get David's kingdom built up again. And do you know when that was fulfilled? James tells us in Acts chapter 15, that was fulfilled with the preaching of Peter and Paul to the Gentiles, and them being converted and forming the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That prophecy was fulfilled then. James stood up and explained it under the power of the Holy Spirit. We are the fulfillment of Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, that God would build again the tabernacle, the house, the kingdom, the nation of David under the reign of the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. What wonderful things. No wonder Romans 15, 12 says, the Gentiles shall put their trust in him. Because David's son is our king. We have a king too. We're not the outcasts of the Philistines and Egyptians any longer. Jesus Christ has united both into one nation. And where the son of David is king of converted and saved elect regenerate Jews. And he is the king of converted, saved, elect, regenerate Gentiles. Praise his glorious name. Do you love the son of David? He's sitting on his throne. He sees everything. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him with whom we have, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who is also the Son of David, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Let's not move one bit from the hope of the gospel. We've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and rose again for us. And He will pull us out of the grave one of these days soon if we happen to die before He comes. But He is coming again. Do you know why He's coming again? To show in His times that He is the blessed and only potentate. There are those who think they are potentates. And it's a terrible shame that the Shriners call their leaders imperial potentates and so forth. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate. He's the only one with power. That's what it means to be a potentate. If you're impotent, you have no power. If you're a potentate, you have a lot of power. But if you're the only potentate, you have all the power. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got power over death. He can mock death. He can mock the grave. Don't we love to sing the song, He tore the bars away? The children in this church love that song. Up from the grave He arose. Vainly they sealed the dead. Jesus, my Savior. And then he tore the bars away and rose from the dead, as we had read to us in Acts chapter 2. He is the son of David and prophesied as such that he would reign over the kingdom of David, over the kingdom of the Lord forever and ever. We have that kingdom. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. And let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ as the king of the kingdom of David, which was the kingdom of the Lord. David was a great king. Defeated all the enemies. Solomon could bask in peace. You know what it says during Solomon's reign? It's in 1 Kings chapter 4. It says every man got to sit under his fig tree. (laughs) You went to work for a few hours, then you sat down under your fig tree in an easy chair and had something nice and cold to drink. And something pleasant to eat. You know why? There wasn't anything else to do. You just collected, you just collected dividends and interest and enjoyed the good life under Saul. Go read it. Do you, know, do you know where all that came from? Because David was a man of war and nobody stood before David when it came to battle. And he defeated all the enemies and then the Lord blessed Solomon and made him great. The Bible says the Lord blessed them until he became very great. And they enjoyed the peace of Solomon's reign while he did all the observations so that he could write the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes for you to understand that there's a better way to live than what the United States wants to tell us, what Hollywood wants to tell us, and what your school teachers want to tell you. Right. 
There's a totally different way to live. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's spoken unto us by His Son in the last days. These are wonderful verses. He's be, verse 4 tells us He was made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When was He made better than the angels? When He came the first time, He was made lower than the angels. But when He rose up into heaven, He was made better than the angels. Because by inheritance He obtained a more glorious name than they. He, what was His name? The Son of God. The firstborn from the dead to sit at God's right hand. And it goes on to say, God never said that to an angel. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Wonderful words in Hebrews 1. When you read them, does it, does it turn your soul on or are you dead? Does it light up your life? There's life in the sense that these words speak to the life in our souls. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says of him in verse 8. But unto the Son... So different from what he said to the angels. You know what he told the angels? You're a minister of fire for me. You're my servants. You're going to burn wherever you go, but you're my servants. That's Well, that's pretty decent. Not a bad job to be an angel. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. God gave the Spirit without measure to the Lord Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 4. And here it is fulfilled. Jesus had a scepter of righteousness. Didn't we have read to us today from Jeremiah and Ezekiel that he would reign in judgment and justice and exercise righteousness in the earth, and Jerusalem would be called the city of righteousness, and he would be called the branch of righteousness, and he would be called the righteousness of the Lord? Because he reigned with a righteous scepter. The Jehovah's Witnesses want to say that the throne of God is forever and ever. But that's not what Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 says. It doesn't say the throne of God is forever and ever. It says, unto the Son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. He is called God. Not just the throne of God is being addressed there, but God is being addressed. Because Jesus is being addressed. He is the Son of God and he's the Son of David. Look at 1222, which we know so well, and which I never want you to forget. When you drive down the road, East Standing Springs, and you look over to your left, and you see this pitiful little place where we meet, which is better than where many saints of God have met over the last 2,000 years. Many of them were in the catacombs of the earth and the caves of the earth, but when you look over and you see such a small, pitiful place, this is what you are to remember. That you have come unto Mount Zion. This is as close as we can get to Mount Zion until the Lord takes us out of this world. Funerals ought to be a great time of celebration. Because a person has left this world to join the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven. Do you not want to go there? What's holding you back from wanting to go there? Why are you in love with this life? Here's what we've come to. Hebrews 12, 22. But ye are come. Not you will come. Ye are come. Forget the Jewish fables. Forget the millennium that they want to teach where they're going to be the master race and we're going to be their servants again. This is something that's already taken place when Paul was writing this 2,000 years ago. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. And it's not the one in the Middle East where Jerusalem, the city that was then, was built. 
This is a heavenly one. Follow the spiritual connection of a real city and a real place and real people and real angels. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. This church has no attendance. They can take attendance on every church down here, but they can't take attendance on the church above. It's got an innumerable company of angels. You can't count them, there's so many. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. This is a true mega church. This is all the elect of God gathered together, which are written in heaven. The book of life is the membership role. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. What kind of a sentence is that? What have we ever done to deserve a sentence like that? Right. We are come to that. When you drive down East Standing Springs Road and you look over and you see this little place, this is where we're gathering. This is what we're in connection with right here. They just happen to be worshiping in heaven. We're still worshiping on earth. Wait 20 years and you and I are going to be worshiping with them in heaven. And our children are going to be worshiping down here unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes and we're all gathered together in one in heaven. This is the son of David. He's got a kingdom. And he has extended its range considerably so that it includes heaven and earth and everything under the earth. David's kingdom may have stretched from the Euphrates River to the Nile River and from the Arabian Desert to the Mediterranean Sea. But the Lord Jesus Christ covers all that and the whole earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, John, who am your companion in tribulation the patience and kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. The kingdom is mentioned throughout the Bible about the Lord Jesus Christ being the king of that kingdom. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you were a Philistine and you were convinced that David served the true creator God of heaven and you wanted to join him, you had to take your life into your hands and cross a border that said, Entering Israel, we hate Philistines. Then you had to walk through that land and hope that they didn't recognize your accent until you could get to David and fall down at his feet and swear allegiance to the Lord. Did he have such men? Amen. He had such men. Well, the son of David has a, has a kingdom. And we're in this world and they don't know anything about it. But he's reserved it for us and he's going to take us to it. He's going to come and get us out of this world. He's already translated us once from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Legally and vitally. But he's going to come and do it finally for us soon. Look, look at Paul's confidence. Second Timothy 4.16 When he stood before a potentate on this earth. Let's see how afraid he was of a potentate that, had, that held the life or death of his body in that potentate's hands. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Second Timothy 4.17 Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work 
and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. You say, and somebody says to me, but the Apostle Paul died a martyr's death. <coughs> How's that being delivered? Because he died a martyr's death with a great big smile on his face. He couldn't believe how lucky he was that day. That somebody finally killed him so that he could go to heaven. Because he said it is far better to depart and to be with Christ than to stay here. He didn't believe in luck. I hope you understood me. I spoke as a fool for a second for you to get the point. That was a blessing to Paul. He considered it far better to depart. He was so full of confidence. Go read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident while we're in this body that if we could just get out of this thing, we'd be with the Lord. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when he saw the opportunity that somebody was going to kill the body, he knew that his soul was going to escape and be with the Lord. Right. A whole different attitude. I'm ready to depart. He said earlier in this chapter, look at verse 6 of the same chapter, 2 Timothy 4. I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready to depart. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, remember, he's going to judge in righteousness, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Do you love his appearing? Are you looking for the son of David to come back and rip this place wide open? No one will be able to gainsay him. No one will blaspheme him. He will destroy all his enemies. He will destroy all our enemies. He will vindicate every syllable of the King James Bible. He will declare himself the ruler of the universe. He already is, but he will put all his enemies under his feet. He will grind his feet upon them. They will be his footstool. The incense of their torment will rise up before him for eternity. This is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming with His mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on all them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are wonderful words in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. But verse 10 says, when He comes for that event, He's coming to be adored by us. And we're going to adore Him when we see Him. Because what a Savior, what a Prince, what a King. Israel adored David. They loved him. His name was much set by. But is the name of Jesus of Nazareth much set by in your heart, in your home, among your friends, in your stupid Facebook entry? Do you lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at the first verse. 2 Timothy 4. Where do you go to get away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Was Paul a name dropper? Can you find me four verses in a row where Paul didn't drop the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why don't we have another contest? See who can find four verses in a row that doesn't have the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in it. I love the Lord Jesus Christ and spoke of Him all the time. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, where he's trying to get Timothy's attention about what kind of a ministry he ought to be in the last times, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. That should get your attention if you're a minister. Wow! I charge thee. I put you under oath from God and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to judge those that are living and those that are dead when he comes at his appearing. They haven't seen him yet, but they're going to see him and his kingdom. 
because he reigns over all. They're going to see that he indeed has a kingdom. So much more could be said about that kingdom. They came and said, when's the kingdom of God going to appear? And he said, you've got the totally wrong idea. The kingdom of God is within you as far as its earthly realm. It's a spiritual kingdom where somebody has submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ and it's within them. You can't see it. It's not visible. I don't have a a standing army. My standing army is invisible because they're all angels. That's why I'm the captain of the Lord's host. But he has a kingdom and he is going to show that kingdom. Come back a few pages to 1 Timothy 6 so that we can see the words that I often quote to you and that I already have today. Where he gives Timothy another charge in the first epistle and how he does it. I quote these so often because this is the next big event on the horizon that we want to look forward to. This is the one that we want to be waiting for. This is the one we want to love. This is the one we want to get excited about. This is the one, the one we want to live in light of. First right. Timothy 6.13 I give thee charge in the sight of God, Timothy, who quickeneth all things. Praise the Lord for that. He makes them alive by the life-giving power of His voice. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in His times He shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power, everlasting, amen. Amen. That should get your attention. That's what it's for. I charge thee because of these things. But we should be looking forward to those things. Jesus is coming in his kingdom and he's got the keys of David. He has the keys of David. He can open... And no man can shut, and he can shut, and no man can open. He can open heaven and the kingdom of heaven to any that he lets in, and he can shut the kingdom of heaven against anything that defiles, and he can say, Depart from me, ye wicked, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That is enormous power. David never had anything close to it. But it's called the keys of David to give us a picture of the son of David with eternal authority. Thou hast given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Amen. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Do you hear? Do you hear the words of Scripture? And when those words are preached about the Lord Jesus Christ, do you hear them? Do you believe them? You have been passed from death into life. Right. The coming of Jesus Christ is going to be one big positive event in your life. And we should be looking forward to it. Without spending any more time, you know what Zion is. You know it's the mountain. You know it was one of the names of Jerusalem. You know it's where a fort was built. You know that David took that fort from Second Samuel chapter 5. You know that it's called the city of David because David took the city. David dwelt in the city. David made it the capital. And David dedicated it to the Lord. David set up a tent there. David tried to build a temple there, but his son built the temple. It's called Zion. It's called Jerusalem. It's called Salem. It's the city of the great king. And it's the city of David. He was born in Bethlehem. It's also called the city of David. But there's cities in the Bible. And the Bible calls them the city of David. 
when the, the, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, Joseph went to Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. So you went back to David's hometown of Bethlehem because he came out of that little town and that's where he paid his taxes to the Roman government. And that's where Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. But they gave birth in Bethlehem because they were on a trip. Did, did the Lord need to do something? Well, he needed to fulfill Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. That Jesus would be born in that little city of Bethlehem, Ephratah, where David was born. He was the son of David. He should be born in the same place. And he was. Throughout the Bible is mentioned David's throne. Brother Gerald read to us from Luke chapter 1. As Gabriel explained to Mary, the son that you're going to give birth to and you're going to name Jesus, he is going to sit on the throne of his father David. Because the throne is important. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus sits on that throne forever. In Acts chapter 2, he is sitting on the throne that Brother Ed read to us. As Lord in Christ, he sits on that throne. He fulfills all the prophecies about the throne of God. Do you know how meaningful this is? For you to try to see the President of the United States of America is just a dream. You will never see him. You'll never talk to him. You'll never get to ask him for help. But Hebrews chapter 4 tells me that we can go boldly to the throne of grace and obtain help in time of need from the Lord Jesus Christ, who was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Do you want a Savior like that? Do you want the Son of David? If you lived in Israel, the chances of you getting to see David one-on-one -on -one were going to be very difficult. You would have to wait a long time in Jerusalem for the line to go down before the number was called on your, t on your ticket for you to get in to see David. But you can go run to the Lord Jesus Christ right now in your hearts. You can run to Him this afternoon. You can go to Him and He will hear every word and He will hear the words you can't get out. Because the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and He hears the voice of the Spirit. He knows everything about you. He was tempted in all points like as you are. What point do you want to raise that you don't think He was tempted in like you are? Yet without sin. He is able to succor them that come unto Him. And He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He can take care of the whole multitude at once. Because he's now glorified in heaven. He's on a throne. That throne is an emblem and symbol of power. But it's also one where we can go for help. Uh, David was born at Bethlehem. So was Jesus. David had wisdom like an angel. Jesus has all of it. David was a mighty conquering hero. Jesus is a greater one. He's the Lord of hosts. Right. David loved music and so did Jesus. They both sang. Praise to God. David loved and worshipped God and Jesus did the same. It was his meat to finish the work that God had given him. But oh, there's differences. David sinned heinously. The son of David has never sinned. Amen. Praise the Lord for raising up a son that David knew he did not have. Right. Remember the last words of David? Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. And that everlasting covenant was that you're going to have a son named Jesus. Because David had just explained, he that ruleth over men must be just. And I don't have any sons like that. But the one that's coming is going to be like the clear shining of the sun on a morning after rain when the grass springs up. Have you, have you read that description? <laughs> you've got to have nice grass and you've got to go out and look at it at the right time. But that's, that's, the pro that's David, the prophet, 
describing the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as a king. David's kingdom was pretty expansive. Go look at a globe. It dwarfs the size of Israel today. It was many times the size of Israel today. But Jesus reigns over all. David killed most of his enemies. Jesus Christ died for some of them so that they could be his children and he'll kill the rest. Right. David sometimes bore false witness about things. But Jesus is the call the faithful and true witness with a capital F and a capital T. Oh, the son of David is so much better than David. Do you know how excited David was 2,000 years ago when he saw the son of David for the first time? You know, it says in, it says in Acts 2, and I hope, you all, I hope you're able to read the Bible and divide. In Acts 2, it says that David is not ascended into heaven. What part of David isn't ascended into heaven? His body is still on earth. It's still in the sepulcher of the kings in the city of Jerusalem. David's spirit has been with the Lord since he died. And he saw his son, he's a spirit of a just man made perfect, who's already in heaven, and he saw his son 2,000 years ago when Jesus ascended up into heaven. He saw the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I can tell you that he was singing as loudly as any other sinner there, that salvation had arrived because worthy is the lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by his blood. Do you meditate on these things? When you read Revelation 5, is it just a bunch of English words jumbled together? Or do you think about David seeing his son for the first time? David was used to having men bow to him. What do you think he did when he saw Jesus of Nazareth? He bowed to him. And they sang a new song and the angels jumped in in the choir of the 24 elders and the four beasts. Oh, that's, that's parts singing. That's parts singing. When you've got a hundred million angels singing... And you've got the redeemed singing, and you've got the four and twenty elders throwing down their tinkling crowns, and you've got the four beasts shouting amen. Those are parts that I like. Right. Oh, not that I don't like the others. I just, oh, that's music. Is it music to your ears to hear about it and to think about it? Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, the man, the man Christ Jesus sits in the throne of glory at this hour. He is coming again to judge this earth, and he's going to take us to be part of his kingdom and treat us better than David ever treated the Israelites forever and ever and ever. We will have the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he will give us the inheritance of God himself, the full kingdom and reign of all the universe, to the children of God, whom he will call brethren. And he is not ashamed to call us brethren. Hebrews chapter 2. David provided a meal for all Israel... But Jesus gave us a perpetual feast that we're going to get to keep next Sunday. And that little bit of wine we drink and that unleavened bread that we break should be a feast to your soul because it's the son of David setting up a perpetual feast to remember what he did for us. Right. He didn't defeat just the Philistines that were going to come back five years later once they drafted enough men to replace their army. He defeated... Which, what, do you, are you ready with the list in your mind? He defeated death. The grave, sin, and hell, and the devil. He's worthy of a celebration. Amen. And he gave us the celebration, and it's so simple. Right. It doesn't cost us much except faith to believe it. And may the Lord bless us to believe it. Amen. Oh, the Bible tells us that Jesus had greater glory than Moses, because greater is the man who built the house than the one who operates in it as a servant. So much more does Jesus have glory above David. Where's the son of David now? Do you know what Jesus told the two on the way to Emmaus? 
in, in Luke 24? Shouldn't Jesus Christ have suffered and entered into his glory? Shouldn't the Messiah have entered into his glory? That's where he is right now. What's the last phrase of the great mystery of godliness? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in spirit, seen of angels, preached in the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Oh, received up into glory. A man went through the interstellar spaces without oxygen and without Apollo or Nassau keeping track of him. They couldn't have kept track of him anyway. He went into the presence of God. Amen. The man Christ Jesus is there. He's there right now. He can speak the word. If on earth there were some that had faith so great that they could say, but speak the word and my servant shall be healed. What do you, what's the limitation now? He's glorified in heaven. If I but may touch the hem of his garment, do you go looking for the hem of his garment? Right. Do you ask him to speak the word on your behalf? Do you tell him how much you love him? What are, what are the implications for us? There's no ruler on earth that should move you a bit. The ones you have to read about in the paper every day don't know what they're doing and they never will. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that rules over them all. And we can put our trust in him. He He hasn't forgotten us, nor will he forsake us. He died for you to make you a citizen of Zion. This king, this son of David, died for his enemies. Something David never did. David did not die for his enemies. David would face death in order to kill his enemies. But Jesus, the son of David, died for his enemies. If he is the son of David with the royal authority that the Bible gives him, then you owe him your life. Amen. What's going to be the hardest thing for you to the rest of this day? Control your mouth. Believe that the son of David is standing there listening to what you say. Is the hardest thing going to be turning off the devil's box in your house called a television? If that's going to be the hardest thing, then believe that the Son of David is there taking a look at what you're watching. If he's the Son of David according to the flesh, then he was born of parents and grandparents that were sinners. He knows all about a sinful life of temptation and trial, but he never sinned. But yet we can come to him and know that he will have mercy and grace for us in time of trouble. And he is able to succor and help us. If he is Lord of all, and he is, you should fear him, and you should fear no enemy of any kind, because he is Lord of all your enemies. If he's coming soon, and there's no reason to believe that he's not, the Bible's clear enough. We're 2,000 years closer to his coming than Paul was. Are you looking for it? Do you think about it? Do you speak about it? Do you live in light of it? The son of David is coming for us. Do you know that there have been martyrs who never knew that they were going to be alive 24 hours later? They love those words. They love that thought. They had nothing in this world that appealed to them. They knew that their life could be cut off. The son of David's coming for us. David's coming for us. On a white horse, he's coming for us. And he's trampling the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. It is going to be a terrible day for our enemies when he comes. Isn't that exciting news to know? 
Couldn't you sit in a prison freezing with rats running over your body, starving to death, and know that you're going to be hauled out and burned if you knew that the son of David was coming for you? They've put their trust in that for 2,000 years. We're fat, we're happy, and we forget the Lord Jesus Christ. We're disgusting. He's coming soon. Why not ask yourself a little question? Lovest thou me more than these? Who loves him the most in here? Let there be another competition. Let us love the son of David. He's worthy of it. If the name of David was much set by in Israel, how much more the name of Jesus? If all Israel loved David, how much more should all of this Israel love Jesus, the son of David? May the Lord bless us by his grace, remembering the frailty of our human life and by the power of the Holy Ghost, teach us to love him more and to live for him. May Jesus Christ, the son of David, be forever praised. Amen. Amen.